Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Do you ever stop and marvel at God's creation? Are you in wonder at what He has made? Too often we take God's masterful creations for granted, instead of seeing them as pointers back to God's ingenuity, generosity, and artistry. Although we can't always take time out to praise God for the plums and palm trees and panthers, when we can, it's helpful to meditate on His handiwork. It's, it's my hope that in this message you will see God in a whole new light as being the designer, the engineer, the artist, who magnificently made creation, and who deserves praise. Here now is Podcast 151, God of Wonder. I want to begin by proposing a hypothetical question. Let's suppose there was no rain, and you had to irrigate the United States. Okay, let's say there wasn't a thing called rain. And you wanted to irrigate the entire United States. How would you do it? I mean, would you use lakes, rivers? If you use lakes and rivers, you'd run into certain problems there, right? Because if you pumped all the water out of the rivers, that would cause other problems in other areas, right? Or if the lakes were emptied out, then you'd lose the fish in the lakes, and then whatever animals eat the fish and there's the cascade effect up the food chain. Or what about the difficulty of getting the water to where you need it to go, right? I mean, it's a real logistical problem to irrigate a country. And you could use trucks, you could truck water, fill up trucks with water and drive them. I mean, there are a lot of trucks around the world delivering stuff all the time. Or you could use pipes, right? We could lay pipes across the entire land, make a grid of pipes, and then just pump the water everywhere, right? That would be something. Or if we didn't want to mess with the lakes and the rivers, we could get the water from the ocean. Because let's face it, there's a lot of water in the ocean. But what would be the problem with that? It's salt water, right? So we'd have to desalinize it. And that would take a lot of energy. And then once we get all the salt out of the water, we still have the transportation issue and the distribution issue. It would be a real difficult problem to solve, wouldn't you think? And that's why I'm so impressed by the hydrologic cycle. (laughs) Going back to elementary school here for a moment, but the hydrologic cycle is this incredible invention by God of filtering, transporting, and distributing water from one place to another. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you have a glass of water and it leaves a little bit of water on the table when you, when you pick it up, there's a little ring there of water on the table. If you come back later, that water's magically gone. It's really weird if you think about it. You could just sit there and stare at water, and it slowly disappears. That's called evaporation, right? We all know the word evaporation, which we, we think makes us so smart because we have a word for it. But who among us really knows, how does evaporation work? I mean, think about it. You've got a liquid. It's just sitting there, and suddenly it turns into vapor and it floats away. That is absolutely bizarre. Water is heavier than air. I mean, think about it. 
for a second, this is a masterful invention. And, and so what happens is it evaporates from the oceans, it leaves the salt behind, it leaves the contamination behind, just the good stuff goes up. And then the wind blows it over, then it coalesces into clouds. And that's just so strange too, it's just like water molecules in the air clump together. And then a lot of the clouds, they don't rain, but then eventually they hit this certain point where the rain falls down. And you know, the ancients, they looked up at the, the sky and they saw it raining and they said, well, there must be a bunch of water up there, right? Of course, we know now it's clouds, which is still water, but it's just in a different form. But it was absolutely astounding if you think about this system that God invented to distribute water to irrigate the world. And you know what? Try as we might, it still works. We, we try to mess things up and pollute it, and it, you know, by and large, most places, this cycle, is just doing its thing. Year after century after millennia, it's just, it just works. I don't know, I, I find that very impressive. In Psalm 19, we read in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. I think that's a very important verse. This, this is the verse that tells us that when we look at creation, what we should be able to see or recognize is God's handiwork. Just like when you look at a painting, you see the handiwork of the painter. You see the ability and the expression of the painter. When you, when you look at the sky, when you look at any created thing, it reflects on the glory of God. Let me read that again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun is really spectacular. I mean, the sun is so cool. How, how many of you caught the eclipse? Anybody buy the cheesy 3D glasses and watch the eclipse? Uh, I guess I'm the only one in town that did that. Uh, I, I, got, <laughs> I got a good deal. I got them a, a few weeks early before they started going for like 300 bucks a pop. And uh, they were like $10 for five of them. And it was, it was really cool because even at the height of the eclipse, when you look at it with the naked eye, it still just looked like the sun beaming in your face, right? I was just like, ah! You know, the ground was like maybe a little dimmer than normal at, at the peak of it, but you really didn't see it. But then you put those glasses on. And those glasses, they block out everything else. Like you could, you could have those glasses on and stare right at the brightest light in the room. It would be pitch black. But when you look at the sun with those glasses, the sun kind of looks like the moon. You know, it just takes away all the rays and it's just like a, a little yellow circle. And then it's got a bite taken out of it where the moon is. Right? And it's just like the coolest thing in the world. And I was thinking about the, the solar eclipse and how that works. You know, there's no reason in the world why we should ever experience a solar eclipse. I mean, if the sun is just a little bigger, then you don't, get, you don't ever get a full eclipse. And if the moon is just a little farther away, you would never get a solar eclipse. I mean, we're talking about things that are proportionally way different in size. I mean, the sun is absolutely huge compared to the moon. 
but it's just at exactly the right distance so that if the moon goes in front of it at just that distance from the Earth, then we get this marvel. And I guess there's another one coming in 2024, so don't feel bad if you miss this one. And it's supposed to be much more um, of a full experience for us. This is a, a shot from Chicago last Monday of the solar eclipse. Pretty cool, huh? I just, when I look at the creation of God, when I look at the stars, when I look at the, how this, the sun, like Psalm 19 is commenting on the sun, and it's saying the sun is like a groom coming out of its chamber. Like it's just like ready to go. You know, and, and the sun travels across the sky and it's utterly consistent. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, gravity, Sean, duh. Everybody knows orb orbital mechanics. You know, we learn that. Okay, well, how does gravity work? It's like crickets all of a sudden. You know, it's like, I don't know. What makes gravity work? I mean, if you put something, uh, you know, like Superman can't see through lead, right? So if you put something in a lead box, Superman can't see it. Like, what makes gravity not work? If you put something in a lead box, gravity still functions on it, right? If you put something in outer space, gravity still pulls on it. If it's underwater, gravity still, you know, it's just like, what is, what is that? There is some sort of system in place that God designed that reflects on his consistency, his faithfulness, his grandeur. And I think we should be impressed by it. My, my main point this morning is that we too easily become jaded and take things for granted. And we short-circuit ourselves out of experiencing wonder when we see wondrous things every day. And these wonders that we see from a tree to the sky, these are what are pointers back to the handiwork of God. These things, when we see them, when we see something magnificent in creation, whether a human, an animal, a plant, or nature itself, when we see these things, we should, we, we should take a moment. And I know we don't always have time, but we should take a moment and say, wow, that's awesome. God, that's amazing what you did there. I mean, think about that hydrologic cycle. I mean, that is a brilliant strategy to solve the problem of irrigation. Or the eclipse. I mean, absolutely unnecessary. That's just flair. That's just like, I think they'll enjoy that. <laughs> Wait till they see the eclipse. It only comes every so many years. It only hits one little part of the earth. So, like, everyone will see one once, right? If they're outside. At the right, and it's not too cloudy. I mean, it's just like, it's just a little spectacular thing God set up. Let's go to uh, Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is really an incredible psalm at describing creation. And I want to work through it with you in just a minute here, but I also want to show you this little video of our solar system. So here is the moon, and this just shows you relative sizes. So you have the moon, Mercury, is bigger than the moon, and then you have Mars, which is way bigger than Mercury. Venus is just dominating Mars there, about twice the size. Earth, just a little bigger. You are here. <laughs> and then look at Neptune. Neptune is huge. What is that, like five times the size? But that's a joke compared to Saturn. No rings, and it's still way bigger, right? Jupiter is still bigger yet, but then you look at the sun next to Jupiter. <laughs> And the Jupiter is a joke, you know, but the sun's just a little star. You've got Sirius A, which is like twice the size. And look at this one, Pollux, an orange giant. And yet that's nothing compared to Arcturus, the red giant. And that's nothing compared to Aldebaran, the red giant. 
then you got the, I mean, look at this is just unnecessary flair. Rigel, the blue supergiant. Whoa, the pistol star, the blue hypergiant. Antares A, the red supergiant. And then, uh, well, we're not done yet. We've got one more after this. Mu Sefi. I don't even know if I'm saying these correctly. And then VY Canis Majoris. That's the biggest uh, object that, at least when they made this video, they were able to identify. And from the perspective of this star, Earth is but a speck. <laughs> it's just a little speck. I mean, think about that for a minute. Everything that we know is just on Earth. Right? All my experiences, I don't know if there are any astronauts in the room, but like all my experiences are all just on the Earth. I mean, what do we really know compared to what can be known, compared to what's out there? Just a little tiny speck, and yet God made it all. I mean, you think about how big our universe is, all of the galaxies. I think there's a little picture here of some of the, the galaxies. This huge star, if you got in a plane, going 900 miles an hour, 900 kilometers an hour, excuse me, and you wanted to fly around the surface of this star, it would take you 1,100 years to fly around the star once at 900 kilometers an hour. I mean, it's just the glory, heavens are declaring the glory of God. You know, and then there's just all these other galaxies and you know, we know just like a little, tiny rectangle of outer space. And then you like zoom out and you're like, what about all that? I don't know. There's only so much time in a day to chart stars, right? <laughs> I mean, it's really awesome to see God's glory. All right. Let's go over to Psalm 104. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Light is an incredible aspect of creation. I don't know if any of you have ever read up on light, but it is one of the most fascinating, I don't even know what to call it, particles, wave. It's a particle wave. It has a dual reality. Nobody really understands. And light, of course, goes at the speed of light, which is, I don't know, 580 million miles an hour. It's just something ridiculous. And if you actually travel close to the speed of light, time starts to slow down for you. So you, as, you, as you move faster, time slows down. Because the way God set it up, for whatever reason, is that space and time are linked to each other. And light has these just incredible principles to it. It says in Genesis, the first thing God said was, let there be light. It's the first thing he created. He's like, Psh! God's first creative act, light. And in another scripture, it says God is light. And, and I don't think that means God's like in the light beams or something, but he's, he, his character is light, right? Light is pretty cool. It says in verse 2 again, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. We need to be in wonder at what our God has done. I've got some pictures. I'm just going to read through the, the psalm here, and you just look up at the screen and, and see some of these pictures. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. 
He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains arose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. What the psalmist is talking about here is God's creation, but also God's manipulation of his creation in the flood when he had the waters cover the mountains. In verse 10, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heaven dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. This is a tree I took a picture of. Every once in a while, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I get this experience of wonder by accident, right? Where I'll just be doing something and I'll see something in God's creation and it'll just blow me away. So this uh, tree, you, you could barely even see it there, but it's, it's a yellow tree from the fall. And I was, I was on a run uh, and I was going along the bike path on the, uh, the river here, the Mohawk River, and trees were turning color and everything. And I, I was just going along and I was like, four or five miles in, and, and I just like saw this tree, and it just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I was just like, oh, a yellow tree. And it was just, this picture is it's funny. I took this two years ago. I looked at it, and I'm like, this is just an awful picture. Like, it, it's so dingy. It's so dingy. The clouds are kind of dark. But like, in that moment, I had this incredible experience of awe and wonder. And uh, something similar happened recently. I was at the teen camp on Lake George, northern Lake George, Silver Bay, and I went for a hike, and I was hiking up to Jabe's Pond, and I was, I was going, I was going, I was going, it's, it's, it's like a little less than two miles, but it's, it's pretty steep, so I'm like, I'm running up the mountain, and I get to the top, and suddenly, this just opens up Jabe's Pond, and it's a pond on top of a mountain, which is so weird, and it just blew me away. I was just like, oh, wow, what's that doing here? You ever have that experience in life? You see a baby, you see a sunset, you see someone you love do something spectacular. I remember, uh, don't tell Noah this, but his first concert, right, he's there playing the viola and it was just like a symphony that I had never heard anything so beautiful. You know, it's just, you get these experiences in life and they're beautiful. And, and I think what we do is we end up just becoming, oh, I already know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've been to James Ponchon been there like six times, okay? And we, we kind of like just get jaded to things. But I think we need to cultivate a heart of wonder. This is a shot I took of a forest that I was run, also running through on the, the, the other side, the northern side. And I actually have a video of that. But it's like, again, one of these things where it just doesn't, it doesn't look anything like what it looked like. And it's frustrating with the, with the technology. But right now, there's snow falling. 
And it's not, it's like the middle of the summer because it's actually these little fluffy seeds or something that are coming down from the trees. And it's like a blizzard of those. And you, you can see like a couple of them every once in a while, but the camera doesn't pick it up. But in the moment, it was just like, why is it snowing in the middle of the summer? This is so incredible. <laughs> right? I had that sense of wonder yet again, which was pretty cool. Uh, all right, what verse were we in? Oh, Cedar of Lebanon, just in case you're curious what that looked like. Cedar of Lebanon, verse 16. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. But God made all this stuff. He made it all. He made trees. He made rocks. He made up thunder. I mean, what's the point of thunder? It's awesome. It's pretty cool. My dog doesn't like it. Verse 17. And then the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. Somebody's got to, those goats got to go somewhere, right? They're on the wild mountains. And, they, you know, goats, they just climb up to the highest point and they're like, what's going on? <laughs> and the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. I mean, why, why do we have this creature? God wanted there to be rock badgers. And so he made a rock badger. He's like, this, this, this is a good one. Look at that thing. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Verse 24, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. Like how many things has God made? If you start to really think about it. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you have formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Just think about the creation and how God made all these different animals, insects, plants. I mean... The intelligence, the creativity, the artistry, forget the symbiosis and how you know, the tree leaves fall down and then it, it fertilizes the ground and then other things grow up and animals eat that and then other animals eat those animals and, just, and then we eat steak and how that all works. It's awesome. Verse 27, these all look to you and you give them their hand. Verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. A pretty incredible psalm, don't you think? Psalm 104. If you really take the time to contemplate all of the different creatures, and the creatures that we know, this is not our culture. The psalmist is someone from the Middle East, right? 
in our culture, we would have different animals. We'd be like, well, look at the deer. And we would say, look at, you know, what, whatever other animals we have. We have cats. We have cats all over the place and dogs, right? And we have robins and, and the blue jay. The blue jay is a pretty fancy looking bird, right? We have bears and hawks. And there's a fox that kills my brother-in-law's chickens. There are a lot of different creatures in, in creation itself. Let's go over to Psalm 8. Have you ever heard of the bombardier beetle? Anybody ever heard of the bombardier beetle? Probably some of you, right? I mean, it's not totally an unknown creature. This is a little bug, and it's able to light bombs from its butt. Here's a diagram. It can emit an explosive gas at basically a boiling temperature and use it as a weapon against praying mantises and other sorts of creatures that want to eat the beetle. Uh, it can even kill little spiders and stuff if, if it feels threatened. And, and it can aim that sucker, too. I mean, it can, you would think it, you would have to be behind the beetle to get the, uh, the noxious blast. But actually, it can aim it in front of it, to the side. I mean, it's a pretty incredible little creature. And it's got hydrogen peroxide in one chamber and then hydroquinone in another. And then there's a third little component in the back that's not even on this particular diagram. And when they mix together, it causes a combustion. It's some sort of like, maybe not combustion, but some sort of chemical reaction that expels it from its body. And it lights a little bomb. I mean, there is no reason why the planet Earth cannot survive just fine without the bombardier beetle, right? I mean, bats can just eat a different beetle. But look at that. I mean, that's just, that's just a flourishing, I mean, that's just God showing off, right? It's like, it's like, all right, so I did the ants, the spider, that was cool. Let's give them something really weird. Let's, let's have a little... And eventually, one, one day, one year, one millennium, eventually, someone will discover it. And they'll poke at it with a little metal tongue, and they'll see, they're like, oh. there are people that study these now. They're like, their job is to study the bombardier beetle and to understand how the chemical reaction takes place. There's a guy at MIT studying these things. Right? I think it's awesome. He's an artist and an engineer. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what I'm trying to say to you. How majestic is his name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Look down at verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? What is humanity that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? If you think about God's incredible power, his massive intellect, his incredible just uh, extravagance, I mean, think about all the colors he puts in creation, from the peacock to the pansy. I mean, there's just so much around us. Think about just the different kinds of people. There's so many different looking people. We, all, we could all look the same, right? We all look so much different than each other. It's just absolutely astounding. And then the fact that he even cares, I mean, compared to us, I mean, think about us, right? I showed you the size of all those objects in the universe, right? The moon was where we started. Are you bigger or smaller than the moon? 
we are all smaller than the moon. And yet the moon is nothing compared to everything else. Right? Maybe you find like Pluto, which isn't even a planet anymore. We don't even talk about Pluto. Or like some asteroid that's all like jagged and not smooth and round. Right? And like maybe something like that. But we're still smaller than those. <laughs> right? We're smaller than all of it. And yet God is able to make the biggest star. And so once you start to really come to grips with how magnificent and mighty and powerful and brilliant God is, the immediate question should be, why do you even care about us? We're so puny. We're so limited. We're so finite. And it says here, and that's the question the psalmist says, I look at the heavens, I look at the work of your hands, and I'm like, why do you care about us? Verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It's really, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I mean, God has given us a role. God has established for us a sphere, a place to rule over the animals. And his people will rule over the earth when Jesus returns. But, I mean, if you really think about the question on an individual level, why does God care about me? I mean, think about it. We have all of our flaws, our failings, our foibles, our issues, our limitations, the times when we fall short, make mistakes. And yet... God wants you. He's a lover. He pursues us. I mean, if there's one verse in the Bible everybody knows, it's John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. I mean, God's love for you, this immense God, His love for you is so white-hot and passionate that He would give His only begotten Son. I mean... It is absolutely staggering that God would care so much about your life. The, even just like the little things. God cares that you're here today or what you do with your free time or how you treat your in-laws or what, what you do with your friends. Right? God cares about our lives, the little stuff and the big stuff. Right? And that doesn't demote God. I think what we do is in our minds we say, Oh, well, God's my buddy. He's, he's, he, you know, I talk to him all day or whatever. And it's like, you do realize that God created the universe, right? I mean, you can talk to him. He can hear you and, and he loves you. And there's, there's, there's a serious relationship there. But like, he's not your pal. You know what I mean? I mean, he is, <laughs> he is huge. I have this quote. This is from John Piper talking about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is the guy in the picture there. C.S. Lewis was an atheist in the uh, 20th century. I'm not sure what year he converted to Christianity, but he was an atheist for a long time. I think it was around 30 or between 30 and 40 was when he became a Christian, a British guy. And he got on the radio during World War II and was giving addresses to the nation about the faith, about God. And he talks about... Um, so this is John Piper talking about C.S. Lewis. He writes, Lewis's keen, penetrating sense of his own heart's aching for joy, combined with his utter amazement at the sheer objective realness of things other than himself, has over and over awakened me from the slumbers of self-absorption to see and savor the world 
and through the world, the maker of the world. That is our problem. We fall asleep into the slumbers of self-absorption. We walk through the mall and we don't, and we don't think about, or, or the store, we don't think about, oh, look at that person, look at this person. Most of the time we're thinking, oh, I wonder how I look. These clothes don't feel right, or I wonder what they think about me. We think about what they think about us more than we think about them. We, we get self-absorbed. It's just, it's just something that happens to us, right? And freedom from that self-absorption is liberation where you can start to look at the wonders of what God has done and realize, wow, I'm not that big a deal. God is awesome. C.S. Lewis got that. That's what Piper's saying here. He's like, he got that. He awakened me from the slumbers of self-absorption to see and savor the world through the world, the maker of the world. Lewis gave me and continues to give me an intense sense of the astonishing realness of things. He had the ability to see and feel what most of us see and do not see. He had what Alan Jacobs called omnivorous attentiveness. I love that phrase. What this has done for me is hard to communicate. To wake up in the morning and to be aware of the firmness of the mattress, the warmth of the sun's rays, the sound of the clock ticking, the coldness of the wooden floor, the wetness of the water in the sink, the sheer being of things, quiddity as he called it. And not just to be aware, but to wonder, to be amazed that the water is wet. It did not have to be wet. I was talking to you about water before, right? Like we know, we, we know it as it is, but when you're the creator and it doesn't yet exist and you're coming up with a plan and you're like, okay, I'm going to do liquids. That sounds like a good state of matter. Um, we're going to need a liquid that is going to be liquid at room temperature. Let's make it clear. You know what I mean? It's just like, he just came up with this stuff. And then you have the molecular arrangement to accommodate that reality. And we just use water every day. It's, oh, it's just water. just down the drain. You, know, you spit on the ground. Okay, it's just water. Water's amazing. Actually, your brother got his PhD in water. In 2017 or 2016, whenever he got it. Uh, water is, is pretty awesome. To be amazed that the water is wet. It did not have to be wet. If there were no such thing as water and one day someone showed it to you, you would simply be astonished. You'd be like, wow, what is that? And you see it in the glass and it's like it's sloshing around and be like, it's water. Wow. We don't do that, do we? We're just like, uh, it's, not, it's not filtered. It's got to be distilled. Reverse osmosis. And you got Fiji water. Then you got smart water. You know, some of us don't even like water, so we, we get... Um, what is that stuff? Vitamin water, which is just a, a, a deceptive name for sugar water, right? <laughs> and, you know, we have all these different kinds of, like, we are really actually obsessed with water, if you think about it, as a culture. Um, different, and then there's, like, whatever Starbucks sells. What, what's that kind of water you guys have, Joel? What is that? Ethos. Ethos, thank you. Ethos water, right? And uh, so there you have it. We, we are big into water. He helped me become alive to life, to look at the sunrise and say with an amazed smile, God did it again. Every day, God did it again. He helped me to see what is there in the world, things which if we don't have them, we would pay a million dollars to have, but having them, ignore. He convicts me of my callous inability to enjoy God's daily gifts. 
He helps me to awaken my dazed soul so that the realities of life and of God and of heaven and hell are seen and felt. The simple fact is we need to wake up from our slumber from time to time. We get so in a rut or focused on the task or whatever it is in our daily routine that we are so used to doing that, and I don't know, if you're anything like me, I just multitask too much, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be eating and then doing something else at the same time, right? We don't like just sit there and eat and just be like, wow, this food, God made this food. You know, we, we cook it and rearrange it and stuff, but like he makes the, the ingredients. I mean, this is amazing what God has done here. And then to think about our taste buds and like, God invented those. We didn't need to have so many. We could have just had poisonous, non-poisonous. That's all you really need, right? We got salty, sweet, spicy. We got all these other options, right, on the, on the tongue. Like, why is that? He's just extravagant in his creation. He doesn't like to just make the simple bicycle, right? He wants to make the Harley Davidson with all the trimmings, right? And that's the way our, our universe and our world is. It's more like the Harley Davidson with like unnecessarily shiny chrome on the side just because it's, it's cool. And that's the way God made us. So I think we need to cultivate an attentiveness. I'll just speak for myself. To, to realize that there is a God of wonder behind the beauty that we experience. And then we need to marvel at God. We need to see not only God as we saw last week, John Corr, shared, the living God compared to the dead gods. I mean, you know how many gods there are in the graveyard of gods? Right? How many dead gods are there? How many gods are there that people no longer worship? I mean, when is the last time you heard somebody go, say, I'm going to go to an Asherah service this weekend? <laughs> Asherah? Who's Asherah? You read the Old Testament. Asherah's all over the place. Like, don't mess with the Asherah. She's nothing but trouble. Right? Asherah's a dead god. Dagon. Dead. Zeus. I mean, I don't know. Wonder Woman's trying to bring back some of the, some of the dead gods. But I, I got a feeling that people aren't actually going to start worshiping Ares. Right? Or some of these ancient gods. Because we know they're, they're just made up. And yet, if you look at the true god... He's still alive. He's the living God. He was alive then, and He's alive now. And, and we need to be in awe of Him because He is magnificent. He is so huge. And so when we experience life, we can, we can take a moment to not allow our experience to terminate with what it is. In other words, see through it all the way to the glory of God. So you eat soup. Whatever you eat for lunch today, don't let it terminate with that sandwich or whatever it is. See it all the way through to God. Because God is behind everything eventually. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, where'd the bread come from? Well, this, this place over here made the bread. Okay, where'd they get the grain? Well, they grew it over here. Oh, yeah? Well, how did that happen? Who invented grain? God. Right? So we can praise God for the food that we eat. We can praise God for... Uh, when we go outside on a day like today and you feel the warmth of the sun, and you say, God did that. He gave me skin to feel the sun like that. And he also made a sun just far enough away so it doesn't light us all up. <laughs> right? And just close enough so that 
you know, everything happens that needs to happen for us to, to be in this little window of life-permitting range. So whatever it is, you, you take a hot shower, you think to yourself, oh, this is good. Thank God for this shower head I bought at Target. No, no, I mean, well, that's fine too, but like, think to yourself, well, what's behind the shower head? It's water. God made water. God made your skin. You know what I mean? Like, these are all his ideas, and we don't have to terminate, allow pleasure to terminate with whatever the immediate source is. We can see it all the way through to God and be able to praise God for these things in our lives that we experience. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious splendor. We ask that you would give us attentiveness so that we would see your, your magnificence for what it is. Whether we're looking at creation itself, looking at the wisdom that you have put in the scriptures, or looking at the way that you love us, as demonstrated through the the cross as demonstrated through the plans that you've made for our future in the kingdom. We so thank you, Father. We ask that you would guide us and be with us. And we pray for these things today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you couldn't tell, there was a video that I showed during this episode. It's from YouTube called The Biggest Stars in the Universe. And I have a, I have a link to that in the show notes for this episode as well as a couple of songs that I really enjoy and I think go along quite well with this, the first of which is called So Will I, which praises God for creation. And then the second one is the song Wonder. So check those out. I also have all the scriptures and that lengthy John Piper quote about C.S. Lewis in the show notes for this episode. So check that out. Uh, you can stop out over at restitudio.org and look for podcast 151, God of Wonder, and you can drop a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you're interested, this message was inspired to a large degree by Jerry Weirwell's phenomenal sharing from 2016's Revive, which is called God, Our Spectacular Creator. And Weirwell actually put together a video presentation of this on his website. So I have a link to that in the show notes for this, but his website is jerrywerewell.com. Take a look at that. I use the same videos he did, but he covered a lot of other material that I didn't. So uh, really a masterful presentation just really caused me to worship God right in the seat when I was listening to him talk about all this. And uh, so I encourage you to check that out. That's it for today. Thanks everyone. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.